Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Wade and I are here at Wisconsin Lutheran College in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I thought we were testing. You started that bad boy already. I did, I did. And um, you're good. I already, I already saw your levels. Okay. We'll try it one more time. One, two, three. Uh, excellent. All right. Now you guys see our pregame ritual, or you hear it. <laughs> we are um, here to continue our series on the thought and life of Martin Luther. We've taken a very long break because of... COVID-19 and other things, but uh, we're going to try to get back at it. Maybe do, hopefully, uh, make some progress this summer. If not, uh, I think probably during the school year we'll be a little bit better um, at getting out something week to week. And so short little ones about uh, the Reformation, especially as it relates to Martin Luther. And today we thought we would uh, do uh, something we've done before is where we take a pause from the chronological story of Luther and tell you about one of the characters that we are going to meet. And today is going to be John the Steadfast. John the Steadfast was elector of Saxony. Um, He followed um, his brother, who was Frederick the Wise. We did an episode on him already. And he would have been the grandson of Ernest, or Ernst. And uh, maybe we should uh, just give a little bit of a background on the elector, electorate of Saxony, just so we did this before when we did uh, with Frederick the Wise, but I think it's, it's beneficial to do that. So um, there are seven electors. These are the people who elect the Holy Roman Emperor, and so a very powerful um, position to have. One of the electorates was the territory of Saxony, and that was uh, ruled by the House of, of Witten or Witten, uh, Witten. We do Wetton, is that what we're doing? Witten, we don't know, whatever. From 1423, Frederick I, then you had Frederick II, and Frederick II had two sons, and his territory was basically divided. And the Ernestine line uh, was the one that we're going to be talking about today. The uh, Yeah, the Saxons had a kind of weird way of doing uh, inheritance sometimes. So, you know, usually... Things would just go to the oldest, but at the time with with uh, um, Ernestine, Ernst, and Albertine, or Albertine, mm-hmm. Albert, Albrecht, um, Saxony, it was decided that it would be divided among the two sons, mm-hmm. and so um, they kind of got the pick, um, and I, and so one got kind of the the better land, right? Mm-hmm. Ducal Saxony, Albertine Saxony had probably more important cities and um, was more uh, um, sophisticated, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but then Ernestine Saxony, that comes with the electoral title, which is obviously important for European politics. So Frederick II had Ernest or Ernst, and then um, his other son um, was Albert. And so then you have the Ernestine or Ernst line, and then the Albertine or Albertine line. And then, so one's a duke, and one's going to be an elector, although I think there's probably different titles and stuff like that. But the Ernestine line, um, after Ernest, was Frederick the Wise, or Frederick the Third. We did an episode on him. After he passes away, his brother John is going to sort of take over. Now, technically, they ruled jointly, but the older one had the electoral vote, and was pretty much the one who was going to be out front. And so we're talking about his brother, Frederick the Wise's brother, John. 
just to finish out the story, you have Albert. Uh, Albert, um, his son is going to be George, Duke of Saxony, who is an important character um, also in this Reformation history. Henry the Fourth follows him, and then we're going to have um, Morris, Moritz, Elector uh, of Saxony, who's going to play a little bit of a part in this story as well. So John the Steadfast, of course, these are great names, right? So the, the, the Ernestine line, you have... Um, Frederick the Wise, John the Steadfast, and then John's son, John Frederick the Magnanimous, right? If, if you could pick a good name, a good nickname for yourself, those are all three of them would be pretty good. By the way, John Frederick, so the son of John the Fet Steadfast, who we're talking about today, um, he's going to lose the electorship, right? And so the Ernestine line ends with John Frederick, where the Albertine line, if I am right, gets all the way into the 20th century um, until the, the last uh, duke or king if you, yeah, if you of go to, Saxony. If you go to Dresden, there's a big mural um, in the, the Altstadt um, where, you know, the old buildings are. You can still see, um, well, last time I was there, at least you could still see kind of where they're charred from when the Brits and Americans uh, firebombed it, this, the city of Dresden. But you can see a mural of the Albertan line, um, you know, and it goes on for quite some time. But the, the whole reason that um, that this is so important, uh, what will happen with uh, Frederick the Mag John Frederick the Magnanimous, um, and, and we'll get to this eventually, but um, Moritz of Saxony, who's Ducal Saxony, um, the elector promises if he sides with him, he'll get the electoral mm -hmm. title. And part of those uh, the emperor, Ernestine lands, side right? With the emperor, yeah. And so that shows you how important that electoral title was. That Moritz is actually a Lutheran, yep. But he's willing to aid the the emperor in his war against the uh, um, small Celtic League, which is Lutheran, for that electoral title. So this electoral title was a a big. Uh, Kind of a, a, a jewel, you know, it, yeah. it was something very important to have. And some would say... Imagine it's the same as being in the in the House of Representatives or, or the Senate is important, but being on certain committees mm -hmm. is even more important, or being the, the minority or majority whip, or, or being a Mitch McConnell or a, a Nancy Pelosi. Uh, the electoral title took you to the next level of being yeah. in conversation. And some would say that the, the elector of Saxony was at times the second most Mm -hmm. powerful person in the empire besides the emperor And we'll get himself. to that when we get to Augsburg, like the role that the elector yeah. was supposed to play. And certainly with Frederick the Wise, because of his political acumen, um, almost becomes emperor, right? Um, he certainly was kingmaker, uh, big-time politician, big-time power broker. With the kind of the split between sort of the Lutheran princes and the Catholic princes, I think that diminishes a little bit with John the Steadfast, his brother, and certainly John Frederick the Magnanimous, who is going to partner with, uh, well, they're really going to partner with Philip of Hesse earlier than that, but the, uh, to, to have different defensive leagues finally culminating in the Schmalkaldic leagues. Um, once that's defeated, the electoral Saxony position becomes, well, doesn't exist anymore with, within that family line. And so the electorship of Saxony does, it, in three generations, maybe doesn't have the same shine as it did under Frederick the Wise. But you're thinking about, I mean, this is top 10 important person in all of Europe. I mean, at least in the political it, one, for on what, sure. Depending on what's going on, yeah. For sure. So this is kind of a big deal. This is not just some uh, obscure uh, historical character that we're interested in just because of the Lutheran Reformation.
So just some dates and stuff like that. Frederick the Wise, so uh, we already did an uh, episode on him, as we said, 1463 to 1525. He is taking the, let's say, lesser lands um, uh, that had been divided a generation before. Um, but he tries to make Saxony uh, a little bit more, let's say, cosmopolitan. It's going to start with the University of Wittenberg in 1502. When he dies in 1525, you have his brother, John the Steadfast, is going to take over. And John the Steadfast gets his nickname because he is Lutheran, and he is going to hold on to his Lutheran faith. Frederick the Wise never leaves, technically, the Roman Catholic Church, although you wouldn't even maybe even thought about it that way. He does, let's not say he plays both sides, but he is not one who is going to be, I'm Lutheran, deal with it. He is more going to protect Luther and the Lutheran Reformation for political reasons, but also I think that in his heart of hearts, he probably, you know, believed in faith alone and grace alone. Um, but John the Steadfast, his brother, is going to be overtly and outwardly Lutheran. There's no, where does John the Steadfast stand when it comes to these ecclesiastical questions? And a part of that is his nature, I think, different than his brother. But part of it is just, he's just ruling in a different time, right? I mean, even in the short period of time between Frederick the Wise and John the Fed, Steadfast, you had to choose a side. I mean, there was no, there was no waffling, at least for um, a person in that position. Well, and I think just the political and um, religious situation um, in the empire, it, it would have been probably unwise for Frederick the Wise too early to... Um, you know, declare there to be an evangelical church right, in Saxony. Right. And even with John the Steadfast, this is going to happen in 1527, which is after the 1526 Diet of Speyer, which kind of surprisingly unanimously allows a a measure of religious toleration, not because it legislated toleration, but because it didn't mandate persecution. Mm-hmm. Um, Takes back the Edict of Worms, which had said... Right, so they're kind of... Yeah jumping at the opportunity to do so then. So it's not as if even, you know, when John Frederick comes to power that he immediately right. <clears throat> declares this. But I think this also shows, you know, the reticence on the part of the evangelicals, and here by evangelicals we mean Lutherans, um, to because they're not going to be Protestants until 1529 at the Diet of Spire. Um, but the reticence to break, right, they still want to be a reforming movement. Um, so, it, you know, it, this is a... Sometimes we anachronistically, living in a world of denominations, mm-hmm. look back at that and think, well, why didn't they just, you know, get their building in Pewaukee or St. Louis set up? And, right. um, they wouldn't and, even have thought about it, at right. least at the beginning. It's, yeah. And even just the question of how do you even, what does this look like? How does it operate? Um, you know, so these, these questions would have been went hanging um, big over over this. Um <clears throat> I will say, uh, or are you still doing dates, Mike? Or no, I mean, you, go ahead. I, I will say, you know, out of the three, um, the you know Frederick the Wise, kind of his um, his his genius, if we can use that that word, is is almost like Taoism, you know, in action, or is it Tao? Which one's the one that says in action? You, uh, I can't remember. Oh, it's one of these. But um, you know, do nothing if it's a possibility, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's not that, uh, I, I will look it up. But um, the, uh, you know, Frederick the Wise is really good at tactfully stalling and, and knowing how to say the uh, 
the right word at the right place. Um, maybe if we think of this as 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 pastors, you know, in a church. Now, these I'm, I'm using a church analogy for the state, so that this is, you know, be be um, gracious with me. Sometimes you have a pastor who has to kind of be there and ride things out, right, to get the church where they're ready for something. Um, and then you have the other pastor who's, he's the guy who builds the new church and, you know, they, they kind of fix up the church constitution and they really or, try to organize things. Um, and then you have the guy who is the stronger personality that, that maybe comes after. Um, you know, John Frederick the Magnanimous, Luther was really worried about him coming to power after John because he is going to be a big personality. He, morality-wise, was, was not necessarily... Um, a role model, although as he aged, he seemed to to come around on that. Although he's also a convinced Lutheran, but he's much more a kind of gun ho let's do stuff type of thing. Um, John the Steadfast was kind of like that pastor, and this is what I'm going to get at, who who has to come in and be the one who's going to organize and set stuff up. And, um, and you know, to be in those meetings, it's, it's not easy when some hard decisions have to be made. And... Uh, and so I think he's one of the more interesting. He has a lot of Frederick the Wise's demeanor. Um, you know, at Augsburg, he's not trying to be, to go in like a bull in a china shop. And it seems he even gets, I mean, it physically makes him somewhat ill when he has to take these stands he has to take. But he does take them, right? He wasn't a guy who was just looking for a fight. Um, and so he's kind of that in-between figure between Frederick the Wise, and who would be one end of a spectrum, I suppose, and in John Frederick the Magnanimous, who would be the other side. Um, and so the interesting thing with him, though, is many of the things that we identify with evangelical Lutheranism or with evangelical Protestantism, as it would have been known at this time, are going to happen in his relatively short reign. If we can talk just briefly, Mike, um, another interesting thing about him is when he comes to power, he's well into his 50s, mm-hmm. right? This is not... So he's only like, I think, five years younger than his brother, Frederick. Right. And a lot of times people will take that and say, see, he really had no impact on the Reformation for years. He's just a, well, he's still Duke of Saxony. And he, he was supportive of the Reformation before this. He had always been a player. Um, but I think it speaks to his credit, too, that he was supportive of his brother. And he was, um, this isn't someone who was, if he was scheming for the throne, mm-hmm. right? Um, this was someone who vocationally was was carrying out the task at hand that he had for the time that he was in. And so when and when he comes to power, he really, in, in this, this relatively short reign that he has, seven years, that's less than many presidents have if they serve two terms. Um, and, you know, think of many two-term presidents, and we can't point to a ton of stuff necessarily that we remember from their, um, their terms. Uh, he really is... <coughs> Uh, it comes into power at a tumultuous time, and a lot of the key identifiers of what happens in, in Protestantism uh, happen under him. The first and second Diet of Speyer, and we can talk about those mm-hmm. if you want, Mike. Um, the Augsburg Confession, the apology to the Augsburg Confession, um, uh, the visitations, I believe, right? What's mm-hmm. the year on the visitations? 29? I'll have to look that up. Um, yeah. The... Uh, you know, these are all going to be things that will, will happen. He is also probably, um, I would say, the one that Luther has a the best relationship with. He has a good relationship with John Frederick the Magnanimous, too, but he thinks he's a little bit too gun-ho. Um, there, uh, and I would say also um, John Frederick is, is very, 
conscientious of church and state, right? He's been called to be a, a note bishop, an emergency bishop, as Luther would put it. Um, but he really wants to let the church do church. Um, and there's a really good balance in there, and that balance isn't necessarily always going to hold up historically for Lutheranism. So it, um, he's, he's, you know, it's, um, I'm trying to think of a, an example of a U.S. president who kind of, you know, had defining things that happen under their, um, you know, a lot of important policy things that, that kind of fall to them. Um, but, uh, but a lot of the key things of what a Lutheran church is going to look like or teach are going to happen under him. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll, anything from there, I don't know how much you want to say about the Diets of Spire. Maybe that's its own winging it thing yeah, to do the I first think, and second I, Diet I of Spire. I we'll think do, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do one at least for the first and second uh, Diet of Spires. But I'll, Maybe I'll, then brief brief thing, why do they matter? Yeah, I'll mention those those right now. Um, so um, 1526, the first Diet of Spire, uh, uh, a suspension of the Edict of Worms. So we're not going to... We're not going to hunt down Lutherans, basically, although they're not, that's not really called Lutherans then. Um, and why that's important, um, it is a little bit of a reprieve here. And when we have that episode, we'll talk about why, why that happened. Um, you then are going to see some maneuvering here, particularly with Philip of, of Hesse and... Uh, John the Steadfast. So in Gotha in 1526, they kind of form a league. Torgau in 1530. Um, and eventually that's going to become I mean, the next the next reiteration of that is the small Caldic leagues. And so then, you, it, yeah. so then you're going to have a Lutheran military alliance and against the emperor, and which is going to have its own uh, Catholic alliance. Now in 1532, at the Peace of Nuremberg, um, the, the, the Lutherans or the Protestants are going to say, okay, we will fund or help send troops to, um, uh, to fight for the empire against the Turks. And so a lot of military maneuvering here that's important, but also so, some politics there. Now in 1529, the second Diet of Spire, it's a reversal of the 1526 first Diet of Spire. And that is where uh, John the Steadfast, uh, it seems among others, are going to say, we're going to write a protest. We, we, are, we are protesting this. We're going to write our dissent, uh, dissenting opinion on this, right? And that is where then we get the name Protestant, right? Which now means something a little bit different, but you could say the first Protestant was John the Steadfast, right, in, 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 in one way. Um, eventually, though, uh, in 1527, so between that, you're really going to have this idea of Saxony being an evangelical state, right? So uh, the, you know, is it, is it right to call the state church at that point? I, I, I don't know if we would go that far, but that's a significant thing to do. Uh, and not only that, but then in 1530, you have the Augsburg Confession, which is a uh, written by largely Philip Melanchthon, but this comes from the secular princes, right? And so, uh, and they are saying this to the Roman Catholic Church, this is what we, this is what we believe. So if you think about the first and second Diet Aspire, you think about eventually the formation of the Small Caldic League, the, the different reiterations of, or iterations of the defensive leagues, uh, the Augsburg Confession, that's quite a bit in seven years. 
That's quite a bit in seven years. And so, and for him to remain faithful to the cause as well, while well, why he's called John the Steadfast. Yep. Um, oh, by the way, the visitation articles written in 1527, 1528, and there would have been the Saxon visitation. So, so under his, so, but under his, his watch. Um, maybe, and we don't want to go too long with this one, um, but the importance of the, uh, the events at Augsburg, um, we obviously have talked about and we'll talk about Augsburg a lot, but maybe just specifically to talk about Jonathan Steadfast at Augsburg. Um, this, this, is, this diet at Augsburg is a, an extremely important meeting um, for the religious situation in Germany um, and, and for all those involved in it. And really, John, um, the Saxon delegation, uh, uh, along with those from Hesse, the Hessian delegation, um, are the kind of preeminent representatives of this, and uh, and so there's a lot at stake as as they go to Augsburg, and there's a lot of preparation that had been taking place. The uh, right away, though, the emperor has has John and uh, others summoned before him, um, most notably Philip of Hesse, and then Margrave George of, of Brandenburg, um, which is an important territory as well, and. The uh, he's going to make demands, religious demands. One of them being that, for instance, that they participate in the the Corpus Christi procession. And uh, John is actually so taken back by um, the hostility in the room, right? Um, that he's kind of at a loss for words. And it's um, Margrave George of Brandenburg who will have to speak up. And here, if you've seen the the Color Luther movie, the more recent one. Um, where they bow their knee and say, you can chop off our heads. It's actually in this setting um, that the Margrave of George says something along the lines of, um, before you take the word of God from me, I'll bow my head and let you cut it off. And the emperor in broken German says, right, that we're not cutting off heads today. But he does say these demands stand. Um, and uh, um, the next day, they get one day to think about it. It's 7 a.m. They, they reject the demands. But John actually is... Uh, Right, probably physically ill, nerves from this, mm -hmm. um, that he's not present, um, but he has his delegation and other princes who reject these these demands. It will be John and the Saxons, though, who later, as he's getting his feet under him, uh, will insist on the reading of the Augsburg Confession at the Diet of Augsburg and the reading of the Augsburg Confession in German, since it's on German lands, all important things. Um, and some, some other stances that he, he takes, which are um, very important for the time, would be, uh, for instance, in the welcome ceremony. And in, in the welcome ceremony, uh, John has a very important role. He's, he's kind of like a master of ceremonies to an extent. And he, uh, as, uh, as people are coming to be welcomed, Charles is there, the emperor is there, shaking people's hands. Um, but so is Campeggio, uh, the papal legate, and he's using the opportunity to give everybody a papal blessing. And uh, John of Saxony and, and Philip refused that that uh, papal blessing. Um, and then furthermore, as MC, or Lord High Marshal was the title um, of the empire, uh, he also chooses not to participate um, in this Corpus Christi procession that we've talked about, but he does participate um, in the imperial procession into the city and in a very prominent way. And he does so to show that while he's rejecting the authority of the Pope to bind consciences when it comes to teaching regarding the Word of God, that he is um, 
not rejecting the emperor, right? He's not rejecting uh, civic power, um, the the the, uh, the political estate, um, and and so uh, the other thing he does is he they have this Te Deum ceremony, and I was hoping you would know more what that mean, means, mm-hmm. Mike. But he attends but refuses to participate or remove his hat even for the blessing. Uh, I don't know. A Te Deum t- ceremony would have to be more than just the singing of the Te Deum. Uh-oh. I was guessing it some must have been some sort of service. Um, but I'm not exactly sure what that is. But so this is this um, this very careful balance that that John is trying to maintain. Of look, I'm I'm loyal in the temporal realm, right? But I can't submit where I'm convinced the Word of God says something separate than what I'm being uh, commanded to to um, teach, have taught in my lands, and have preached in my lands um, by my preachers. Uh, and I think this balance, sometimes you hear a name like John the Steadfast, and you might, you might think, this is someone who is just always ready for a right, fight. Right. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like people say it's not courage if you're not afraid, right? Um, and I think that's a fascinating thing with John is it's not that these things didn't get to him. This was not easy for him to do any more than it was easy. Sometimes people will read about Worms and go, well, why was Luther scared and shaking? Why did he ask for a day? He should have just taken it. Oh. It's precisely because this was having an effect on him. Uh, that's what makes it courageous, right? That and, you're acting against your better instincts. And he's steadfast not only to his confession of faith, but his office. As prince, as, exactly. As, as a prince. And so, and those, sometimes those, you know, it's hard to to balance those out. Yeah. So, um, well, I won't go too much more on that, but I think he's a, a fascinating figure. Um, and he kind of gets lost in the background between Frederick the Wise because things start with him. And then um, John Frederick the Magnanimous because Luther dies under his reign. Mm-hmm. And then the Schmalkaldic War is just disastrous um, because of Moritz of Saxony's treachery. Um, that he kind of gets lost in the background. But, yeah, and, you, and something you were... But he's not a belligerent man. No. He's, he's very even keel. And when you were talking about, you know, he, probably he the was, best family man out of the three, too. Yeah, sorry, but yeah, I mean, he's and in the in the background of his slightly older brother, at a time when you, I mean, these are what Shakespeare plays are written about, like the backstabbing and the power plays and stuff like that. We see, we, we don't even, I don't even think of a hint of right. that, and um, so I, I think they each three of them, three of all three of the famous electors of Saxony during Luther's period. So Frederick, John, and then John Frederick. Um, they have something admirable about them. Yep. They're not perfect, but uh, obviously, but there's something admirable about each of them that you go, I hate to talk about leadership, you know, but th- there is some sort of leadership qualities yep. there um, that uh, we probably could look up to once in a while. And uh, each of them are better at, 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 at different things, of course. Uh, you know, uh, whether it be boldness, whether it be um, uh, being patient, um, you know, like Frederick the Wise, being able to change his mind on a lot of things, yep. um, I, I think was a real powerful testimony to this family. So, yeah, I don't have anything else. If you don't, that we're about at time. So that's John the Steadfast. Uh, we're hoping to get back on track here. Um, I'm guessing maybe the the first diet aspire will be. Well, Mike is trying to get back up. I just come back. You don't. He doesn't care. Um, But uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, until next time, let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get my body and I begin to cry. 
I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a janker. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. One more round won't get me down. Don't care what the